so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict my imprisonment. Now there's something really important here. My, my, my favorite commentary on Philippians refers to this section simply as Paul's missionary report. Sounds sort of like, you know, Walter Cronkite. And that's the way it is. See, some people are old enough to remember Walter Cronkite when news reporting was his news reporting. And that's the way it is. I don't care. I was good over there. She didn't laugh because she knows I was good over there. Now remember, the Philippians had sent him money. And they had helped him while he was in prison in Rome, and even along on his journey. And so Paul is doing here sort of like when missionaries report back and they tell us how the work is going, or they send us a prayer letter, like Joe just prayed from Sam and M's prayer letter from the 19th. And so they kind of tell us how things are going. So it's kind of like trying to help us see that we're getting our money going. But what I think is important here is that he does not say first off, that the work goes on despite the fact that he has lost his freedom. He doesn't say, well, despite the fact that I'm on house arrest and I can't leave the premises and I have a Roman guard here every day 24-7, well, the work still goes on. He actually says the gospel has advanced precisely because of his time there under Roman guard. Many Roman soldiers had heard the gospel. I mean, I want you to think about what it must be like to be a Roman soldier assigned to guard Paul. <laughs> After the third day, you would confess Christ and believe in Jesus just to get him to shut up for a couple minutes. Seriously, right? Because you can imagine Paul would just be going on and on about Jesus and how great Jesus is, and he'd be singing songs about Jesus, and he'd be telling you about how the Old Testament points to Jesus, and he'd be, you couldn't leave because, I mean, you're there on assignment. And you couldn't really do much to Paul because Paul was a Roman citizen, so you couldn't just, you know, whack him upside the head to get him to shut up. So you just have to take it all the time. Seriously, his imprisonment for Jesus, it's the, it's the talk of the Imperial Guard. They're all hearing about Jesus. And this is a great thing, Paul says. His time in prison isn't a waste. It's, it's actually just the opposite. It's advancing the cause of Jesus in a very unlikely way. Secondly, he tells us, not only is because of his imprisonment is the gospel going forward, because of that, many other people are emboldened to preach the gospel. Paul says that many of the believers there have been strengthened in Christ during Paul's imprisonment to speak more about Jesus. What he means is that their faith has been emboldened as they see what Paul is willing to go through, what he's willing to undergo for the sake of the gospel and the sake of serving his Lord Jesus. In other words, seeing Paul willing to suffer his loss of freedom for Jesus' sake has encouraged many of them to be 
bolder for the gospel. Now I also mentioned that there are some who are preaching about Christ, but they're doing it because somehow they think they can hurt Paul. Now Paul doesn't directly identify who that might be. Now some commentators, or maybe some hurt some sermons you've heard, have told you that Paul, Paul is actually talking about the people mentioned later in the letter. Because in chapter 3, verse 2 and 3, he writes, Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Now that, in chapter 3, is a, a reference to a, a group commonly referred to as the Judaizers. These were people who preached Christ, but they also expected Gentile believers to keep the law. And so some commentators feel that these are the people who Paul is talking about. But I don't think that's likely. Because why would Paul, in one chapter, say he's glad people are preaching the gospel, even if it's somehow to spite him, but two chapters later call those same people evildoers and dogs? That doesn't seem to make a lot of sense to me. Even, in fact, in chapter 1, he calls them some brothers, right? He says brothers are pretty young. Okay, so he's not, he's not rejecting them. He just, they're just trying to annoy him. It seems more likely these people are just some people who have some sort of beef with Paul, and they think they can dumb on him by preaching Christ freely while he's stuck in prison. Dr. Gordon Fee's idea in his commentary is that these were actually Jewish believers who were uncomfortable with Paul's writing in the letter to the Romans. Because, of course, the letter to the Romans would have gotten to Rome before Paul himself arrived. And so, in that letter, he talks about Gentiles and Jews being on equal footing in the gospel. And we can be sure, um, if that's the case, or whatever these people were, that someday, when we're all in eternity, we can all catch up with Paul, or, or maybe one of the 14 elders, and we can find out who he's talking about. But I don't think it's the same people in chapter 3. But clearly some people were trying to trying to preach Christ, but somehow do it in a way that would annoy Paul. I, I'm sort of reminded several years ago, uh, I couldn't sleep one night, and I was flipping through the channels. In fact, I know it was really a long time ago, because I was flipping through the channels on our Sony Trinitron flat 2D. Does that tell you how long ago it was? <laughs> hey, for the time, that was I couldn't sleep, and I'm flipping through the channels, and I ran across Benny Hinn preachers. Now, maybe you don't know who Benny Hinn is, but I can tell you that Benny Hinn is the healthiest and wealthiest of the health and wealth preachers. I mean, this is he's got the whole whacking people on the forehead. you got to name it and claim it, plant the seed of faith by sending me money, and I will send you a prayer doily sort of guy. Okay? This is the guy who would, he would have these crusades, and he would line up wheelchairs on the stage and kick him off the stage and casting out the demon of paralysis. Okay. But this particular night, there was none of that going on. He was giving a salvation message. And I gotta tell you, I sat there glued to the TV, not because I like Benny Hinn, but because it was a solid you must put your faith in Jesus a 
alone gospel, there is no other way except through Jesus' death and resurrection to be right with God and be saved sort of message, and I honestly couldn't believe what I was hearing. It was a solid gospel message. I mean, it was all about Jesus' death and resurrection as the only way to be right with God and be saved. See, in my mind, that's sort of what Paul was experiencing. Yeah, some folks are preaching Jesus, and they're not really doing it for the right reasons. Because, I mean, ultimately, I'm sure, you know, with Benny, it's going to eventually turn into seventy thousand dollars Why is all this money in the seat of faith $1,000? suffer more if they could. 
rejoices that Christ is proclaimed. Once again, we see that focus outside his own circumstances and in the work of Jesus going forth. See, this is where joy is found in trying times. It's outside of us, and it's in Jesus. It's in Christ. It is rejoicing in Christ despite our circumstances, not rejoicing because of the bad circumstances. You're not supposed to just fake a happy face. I'm so happy that everything is just going so badly. It gives me more time to pray now. No, it's not saying that at all. Now, a second response is that no matter what happens, Christ must be honored. He uses the term in his body kind of as shorthand for the possibility of a scourging and an execution by the Romans. He's confident that through Jesus, even if he faces these sufferings, he will be able to bear up because of the Philippians' prayers and the spirit of Jesus living inside him. Now, you need to understand when he says deliverance here, which incidentally is the same word that is often translated just salvation. He is first off not speaking of ultimate salvation, that somehow he has to be martyred to be saved. Nor is he necessarily speaking of deliverance from the trials he faces. He's more speaking here of the idea of being delivered, meaning being carried through the trials. Either he will be freed, that'd be great, or he will be executed, but God will carry him through no matter what. Remember Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael? The three you may more commonly know as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. What was their response when Nebuchadnezzar threatened the fiery furnace because they would not bow down to his idols? O king, God can deliver us. But whether he does or not, we will not bow down. Paul's basically saying the same thing. Whether my deliverance is from the trial, or through the trial, or it's through death, or whatever it happens to be, Christ will be honored in how I conduct myself. How is it? Paul could both rejoice and have so much confidence, even with the possibility of painful torture and execution looming over him. Well, he gives us his motives in the next section. Verse 21. For to me, for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart to be with Christ, and that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. See, if I was writing a commentary, I'm not smart enough to write commentaries, but if I was, I would call this section, Paul can't lose. He basically says, whatever happens, I will either live on to serve my Lord, or I will die and go be with my Lord. You see, Paul has come to a point where his theology is fully in control of his priorities. 
He is sharing with the Philippians that he sees his life in, in the big picture of God's work in the world through Christ. And he has one passion, and that is Jesus. For me to live is Christ. It's all about Christ. My life is just, it's just Jesus' life lived out. He has one passion, it's Jesus. And he understands that even life and death are ultimately in the hands of the Lord anyway. This is a huge challenge for us, I think. This level of following Jesus is not all that common in our day and age in the West. Our lives are comparatively easy. And while we certainly have sufferings, there's no doubt of that, they are almost never related to following Jesus. The last person that I met that spent time in prison for following Jesus, I actually was in Ukraine. And he had spent 20 years in prison in Russia. And prison in Russia is not a happy thing. The gospel. And my proof of this, why I think we, we're, we really struggle in the West idea of to live as Christ and die as gain. When we do meet somebody who is so sold out to Jesus that they are willing to give up everything to take the gospel somewhere, at least in the back of our minds, and sometimes even we point out that we kind of think they're crazy. But the danger! What if you get killed? takes you 10 years just to learn the language. How can you go there? They don't have health care. They're the nearest hospital is 12 hours away. Over a dirt road. In a 1970s Toyota Land Cruiser. <laughs> oh, what I did for a 1970s Toyota Land Cruiser. <laughs> I'm sold. Jesus. 
and die as gain. And then on top of it, rejoicing about the whole thing. And I realized that maybe my priorities are not fully in line with my theology. Because he knows what he has gained in Christ and what he has to look forward to far outstrips his present anything, good or bad. His why makes him practically immune to any how. And really, he's just modeling for us what it says in Hebrews 12, 2. Hebrews 12, 2 says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Here we are told that Jesus' march to the cross is described as one of joy, not because of the cross itself, but because of what it gained. Salvation, eternal life, his triumphant return to the Father in heaven to sit at the right hand of God. Now we know Jesus was not thrilled about the going to the cross itself. And we know that because the Gospel writers tell us that in Gethsemane, he prayed to the Father that if there was another way this could be accomplished, he would definitely prefer that way. Right? If there is another way, but thy will be done. But Hebrews tells us that he found joy through it, not because of the suffering itself, because of what was gained. Now we know hard times have been here for a little while. And they seem to be getting harder. After what's happening in Ukraine, we don't really know how, how much harder. I mean, think of how hard things got for the folks in Ukraine in the space of 24 hours. So I picture the other day, $6 a gallon gas in California. I will tell you that in my lifetime, I have never gone into an American grocery store and seen entire sections of bare shelves until the last three months. I've never been to Sam's Club and they'd be out of multiple things, including toilet paper. Apparently we're on that case again. Really? Not only the Lord knows that these are just minor inconveniences, because I mean, can we be honest, at this point right now, these are, these are minor Compared to what many people have suffered, these, these, are, these are minor inconveniences. But we don't know. Are these the birth pangs of harder times ahead? I can't answer that. Only the Lord can answer that. But if for me to live as Christ and to die as gain, then I would be forced to agree with Paul. Because Paul would say, yeah, there's suffering, and who knows how bad it might get. Because remember, for him, death was a very real possibility. It was probably not going to be a quick death. But he would also say that whatever it is in this life doesn't matter. It's to live as Jesus. Now, I know that I have a way to go to develop the attitude that Paul has, where he realizes that life or death doesn't matter. If he has Jesus, he already has everything. Life or death, for him, it is all about Jesus. And here, finds the joy in the midst of whatever his sufferings are. We talked in an earlier sermon a couple weeks ago about being joyful people, and here Paul is telling us where the key to that is. That joy is often found in just looking toward what we're going to gain through it. 
And what we gain ultimately is Jesus. More of Jesus in our lives and hearts. More of others coming to follow him as they see us living for Jesus. What if our attitude was such? To live in such a way that we really believe that to live in this life is all about Jesus. And if we die, then we just gain more Jesus to go be, because we get to go be with him. I think on the testimony of Paul here, we would probably find a lot more joy in our life. I think we'd find a lot less worry. Because you know what? If you can truly move into the idea that to live as Christ and to die as gain, you really don't have much left to worry about out there. Now, you know, I'm, those of you who have known me for a long time know that I am sort of melancholic by nature. I am not a guy who walks around like, Yeah, I know. You're shocked. Things you didn't know about me after 22 years, right? And I certainly can worry about some things as much as the next person. No doubt about that. But some of that, for me or for you or for anybody, is surely that I, I have just simply not fully given myself over to the truth that it's all about Jesus. See, we tend to easily get wrapped up in the idea that it's all about us. Or, or at least maybe us and our family. But Paul counters that notion by encouraging us to see that it's really, it's really all about Jesus. He is where joy is found. He is our great reward. Whatever we suffer in this life, Paul would tell us that it has to be seen in the light of Jesus. Because if Jesus is our why, Surely handle anyhow. Let's pray. So, Lord, we just sang that song about living for Jesus. It's a great song. We just have read Paul's words that to live is Christ and to die is gain. And certainly, we do not live in a place right now where, where we, our lives are threatened because of our affiliation. By the same token, Lord, how would our lives change if we truly adopted the idea that everything is about Jesus, to live is, is Christ, that whatever the, the hows of our lives, whatever the trials that come, whatever the worries that may assail us, that we ultimately understand that our very great reward is Reminded of Abraham, God appears to him. And even though he had made promises that he would have land and descendants as many as the sand on the sea, and that the whole the whole world would be blessed through him, when you appeared to him and ratified your covenant with him, you said to him, Abraham, I am.